Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hot Plates and Grapes podcast. My name is Aaron Mays. I'm your host, and I have here today sommelier and winemaker of an approach, an approach to relaxation, co-founder Carla Rizabetz. The Rizza, the Jizza, the Sizza. <laughs> I was waiting to do that for literally weeks. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> How are you doing? How's everything? How's your family? Like, like sincerely, how's everything going? Yesterday was your birthday. Happy yeah, holiday. yesterday was my birthday. Thank you. So I'm still riding the glow from that. Um, lots of love from people all over the world. Um, and that just feels amazing. It's, it's uplifting. So that is a wonderful thing. Um, in general, uh, it's the state of the world. Is that what you're referring to? Like, yeah, life in general? yeah life, life, how you're feeling in life in this current status? Um, you know, it's against all odds. Uh, I'm better than I have been in years. Um, and it's totally due to uh, just kind of like a, and my focus has gone inward and before it was very much outward. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we can talk about that if you'd like to. Uh, but <laughs> all of that to say, I feel really fucking good. I feel very centered and very healthy and really, really, really happy and grateful. That's good. I can agree with that. Yeah. And in lieu of the whole like pandemic and everything being like, especially in America with the political climate, it's, it's tough, but like, I personally feel great. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. lovely, <laughs> good energy all around. Good what, on are you, you. What, are you, what are you drinking this afternoon? I'm drinking, I pulled out of uh, our fridge. We just got back from a big Alpine trip. Uh, and so we were drinking a bunch of wines from the countries that we were traveling through. And so I have here a Slovenian wine, um, Eddie Simcic, and this is the Malvasia, 2018. Ooh, Ooh super yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not your typical, it's Istrian Malvasia, um, and it's very, he ages it in oak for about 10 months, um, so it takes on this kind of like a rich, like very kind of textural quality, yeah. but it's earthy, it's like all these dried flowers, it's really savory, it's excellent, and it's cheap as, so it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Affordable, delicious, sign me up. <laughs> Take my money, please. <laughs> totally. Nice. Yeah, I have a, um, a, a good old Takalina from the Basque. Uh, this was gifted to me from a, a friend from La Luz Selections. Oh, nice. Yeah, she reached out. She said, hey, I want to give you some of our newest Karen messages. Off? Enjoy. Yes, Karen, yeah. yeah. I love her. <laughs> yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's the best. When I first got to the city, I was at Institute of Culinary Education, and I met her through my instructor. Who They were good friends. They've known each other since, like, maybe, I don't know how many years ago. And then we met, and then she was like, what do you want to do in the world? I was like, I want to do just everything. <laughs> so she was like, okay. She tried to put me up with, um, with her husband at 56 wine, 56 degree wine, but I, I couldn't make it out there because the train, it's like an hour and out every time. Yeah. school, it didn't work out. But I'm glad we were still able to stay in contact, and she was able to bless me with this delicious tacalina. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, so cheers. Thank you for, cheers. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Of Thank course. you. So, um, have you made any major adjustments during this time? Yeah, big ones. Um, I think before COVID happened, yeah, before COVID came on the scene, um, I was having these, I was like wrestling big time with um, where I stand in the professional world. And I was so obsessed with what I should be working on and the outward facing kind of view of, um, 
like when somebody asks you, uh, what are you working on? What are you working on? And being married to a big entrepreneur and having our own company, it's, a, it's something that comes up all the time. Richard's always working on new stuff. And so people are always asking, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? What are you working on? And it, it can become a, um, the question itself is a fun one. And it's always asked in, uh, in, in, in a good way, like in a supportive um, way. But it can also feel like a bit of a trap. Um, like you have to be working on something outward right. that people can see, like you have to be producing something physical in order to be successful. Right. And when COVID hit and we were stuck at home, it was literally right in the middle of me kind of wrestling with this idea of, fuck, what do I want to work on? Um, and then I started to ask myself, well, do I need to work on anything? And w through a lot of self kind of uh, reflection, I, uh, was able to answer myself that I wanted to work on me, um, but that's invisible and it's not producing anything outward and it's not a popular answer at a party or you know, <laughs> when somebody like reaches out on so social media and they're like, what are you working on? Like, I'm working on me. They're like, that's a fucking weird question. That's like, who answers that way? And it's, it, it can take away some of like the weight and the importance I think of working yeah. on yourself. Um, and so it was a wonderful uh, for me obviously not for everybody because it's been really fucking hard right. um, and scary. Um, but for me, it's been a huge blessing to have everything go quiet for a minute because yeah. I was given, I was finally able to give myself permission to just work on myself. And I feel like I woke myself up again and it feels really, really centered and it feels fucking great. Yeah. Perfect time for a little Renaissance within yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like for, all of life that we know it, there's no breaks. Never been a time where you, like, you're forced to pause. Never yeah. been. It, it's balls to the wall. Like, you got to get shit done constantly. Especially like, in New York. Not getting shit, yeah, especially, exactly. You began your career, and you've been 17 years in, right? Yeah. 17, 18. You were yeah. started off as a polisher, right? Yeah, silverware polisher. Which is interesting, because our, our, um, our, our director who shoots, he started off, polishing glasses and, and, and legacy. So yeah. I was like, like, dude, I was like, dude, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, it was hard work and with hard work and a work ethic that doesn't quit um, yeah. and, and a good attitude and humility. And yeah, I mean, you can, you can get shit done, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it started, I started as a silverware polisher and I had never worked in a restaurant and I went in to ask for a job. Um, I had just moved to Hawaii and my cousin was living there and I was like living in her, in her, on her couch essentially and she knew this fancy uh, restaurant called Roy's Roy's Kahana in Maui and uh and she said go go ask for a job there they make a lot of money and I was like well that's cool I, I, I want that um so <laughs> I went and asked for a job yeah. and uh, and they're like have you ever worked in a restaurant and I was like no and they're like well like what makes you think that you you're gonna be able to hang here we're a very busy restaurant blah 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 and I was like I I'm a very good worker like just give yeah. me a chance like don't worry about it I can handle myself um and so he's like okay he's like you can we'll start you in the back and I worked in the dish pit uh wow. polishing silverware and polishing glassware and then I moved up to barback and I was like hustling ice and you know being barback um and then I was a buster 
Before any before anyone was even calling them like um, back waiters, there, there were no back waiters back then. I was yeah. a yeah. <laughs> I was a it is what it is back then. Like, it is what it is. Table. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Refill the bread, refill the water, bust everything, just carrying around like dirty, dirty, dirty bus bus tubs and sweating the whole time. Um, but oh I made it. Gosh, I made yeah. a lot for the first time in my life. I made money, and I was like, "This is. I'll do anything. Like this is fucking great. Like I feel. I was living on my own for the first time. Oh, really? First real job. Um, I had just turned 21. Uh, and so I guess, yeah, that's, I just turned 42 yesterday. So yeah, 21 years, longer than 17. Wow. And I loved it. Yeah. Pretty much held every job in the front of the house, right? Yep. And you ultimately became the wine director of the April Bloomfields, the Spotted Pig, and the Breslin, the John Dory Oyster Bar, New York City. And then you eventually took on the, the <laughs> strenuous task of growing wine as a sum. Which yeah. before is my understanding that it was a family thing, generational thing. You started it and it's passed on, passed on. But you bought um, one of the oldest Grenache vineyards in South Australia yeah. that, that were planted in like 1860. Yeah. And, and the, we're thinking, it, we don't know, we don't have exact paperwork. We've heard two stories on the paperwork and the paperwork has not made its way here yet yeah. um, to Amsterdam where we live. Um, we've heard 1867, and then we've also heard into the 1880s. But either okay. way, it's a very old vineyard. Yeah, it's one of the old. oldest Grenache vineyards on the planet. Nice. So you only have like two. Uh, you only produce two tiles, right? The Simeon and the Grenache. Just two wines. Um, my husband Richard. Uh, he is the. He's like. Um, like I said before, he's an entrepreneur, and he's very much like he's the dreamer, you know. And I'm more yeah. like let's let's keep things in order side of the business. And so he's always like, what about this? What about this? Let's work here. Let's do this. And I'm always like, no, focus, focus, focus. Like rain in the horses. <laughs> like we're just gonna do two wines. Um, so it's just the two: one red, one white, the Grenache, and then the Semillon. Lovely, awesome. So like you've accomplished a lot. You've been uh, featured in the Wall Street Journal regularly, Wine Enthusiast, New York Times. Uh, you also were dubbed in the Queen of Sherry by Village Choice. Um, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for Sherry. I, I've been to Casamono a couple of times. Oh, yeah. I love it. And I get at least two or three Sherry's. Everyone's like, yo, why are you drinking this? I was like, it's delicious. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, come on now. Like, this is the best way to end your meal. You can start it, end it, perfect. During the meal, talk to Karen off about Sherry's. She's the, she's the Sherry queen. Oh, yeah? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She helped teach me. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So yeah. the, the the crown was passed. <laughs> yeah, and Peter Liam, he's the king. Yeah. Word. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I got to sit down with all these people. <laughs> you have to give love, to the, give love to the teachers, to the people who taught you. Yeah, they true, taught me. True that. And you also appeared on an episode of 60 Minutes. Yeah. During that super stressful time in the industry, the biggest shakeup that I've seen, which is great. I, I'm, I, I commend you for that. That was super cool. Thank you. Awesome. And um, also your approach to relaxation, you've been listed in the, the New Faces of Australia in the Wine Spectator and also the Winery to Watch in uh, 2017. That's pretty chill. Thanks cool. for knowing your stats. <laughs> I tried, you know. I, I told you, you know, let me, let me try to, <laughs> you know, got to show, the, get, get the research, say the right information. So Thank doing you. all that, all these great accomplishments, I'm really curious to like what your, like, your grassroots story is like coming up. Your first restaurant job came in. Uh, when you were 20, when you were 21, you went to NYU uh, for acting. What was like home like? Was there a hospitality influence at all? There was none. Um, we, I grew up in Southern California um, in a very, very small town in the uh, Santa Ana Mountains called Silverado. It was an old mining town. Um, and I was taught at home. I was homeschooled. Uh, my dad was the pastor of a church. 
Um, and my mom taught my sister and I at home. So there was, and this was like country living, like we would chop firewood in the mornings in order to like have a wood burning stove. Like it was wow. very, very, very rural and very fantastic. Um, but there, all of that to say like, we didn't go out to restaurants ever, maybe once or twice a year on like Mother's or Father's Day. Um, and it was like, you know, Red Lobster was like the top at the top, you know, like it was no, no joke. It, that was like, if somebody gave us a gift card, you know, those cheddar, Bay those cheddar Bay biscuits are out of this world. <laughs> I still love that shit. You know what I mean? Like, because I, because it was special then it's still special now. Like, and even eating a lot, like we would eat Costco food. That was just where we shopped. And, um, like the cordon bleu, the chicken cordon bleu, those little frozen fucking pucks, you know, like I grew up on that and it's still, when I have it today is it zips me back and I still love it. It's fake food, but I still love it because it was connected to something joyful then. Yeah. But, all of that to say there was no awareness of hospitality in, in terms of the restaurant industry. My, I did learn hospitality and I was able to kind of walk this back a few years ago from my grandmother. Yeah. Um, she, uh, Rachel Rizuski was her name, and she was a fantastic baker um, and a great cook. And she would cook, uh, her showing of love was feeding people. Um, and so anytime we would come over, every, all of the attention, all of the kind of community, um, and all of the talk and all of the um, sometimes crying and all the laughter would be around food. And I realized just a few years ago that I fell in love with how that made me feel, what she gave to me, what she gave to everyone. Like she held everything together um, when we had these family gatherings, you know, like every holiday or whatever. Um, and it was, it's real magic to be able to feed people and make them feel welcome and safe and to just show love in that way. And I started in restaurants because I thought I was going to make a bunch of money, you know? I was like living there, smoking a bunch of weed, living in Hawaii, and I was like, let's do this. Fuck I need yeah. some money <laughs> to live the lifestyle I want to live, which is smoking weed, hanging out at the beach, and then busting tables at night. Um, and not until I went through NYU, did the entire acting program there. I was at Atlantic Theater Company and loved my time there. Um, and then a few years after I graduated, I was uh, still, I was working as a nude model in New York and a nanny to pay off those massive student loans. Whoa. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, also working in a restaurant at Blue Water Grill and on Union Square. Formerly, it's no longer there. But oh. at one point, um, I was working in the restaurant and I realized that I, I no longer wanted to act or I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it took me a few years to figure out that I wanted to stay in restaurants. But it was this huge kind of emotional turnover. This happened around 30 years old. Um, there's this huge emotional turnover of, oh my God, I do want to stay working in restaurants. Like this is actually my passion. And I was able to say, fuck, this is from my grandma. Like my grandma handed on to me this gift of providing hospitality. Wow. Um, and that's kind of what sucked me in. But I didn't even realize it took me 10 years of working in, in restaurants off and on and going through acting school to realize that my heart was actually in the service industry as opposed to the performance industry. Grandma cooking dinner as a form of that and then that trickling down almost kind of skipping a generation so to say yes yes and, yes and speaking to you and all of a sudden it just launched this major it, like it was correct obviously it was the yeah. it was the correct move because look at all what you accomplished and what you're doing currently yeah but it came like through the back door you know what i mean it wasn't clear and i didn't right. see it coming like i couldn't see its face and, and my mom my grandmother was she had passed away by the time i realized this i would have loved to i'm sure she sees it now but like I'm, I would have loved to have told her thank you for handing this on to me. 
I'm really the one in the family who took it and fucking ran with it. Yeah. And I'm still in love with it. Wow. So what was the turning point moment where like when you were working, what, what, what position did you receive that you knew that like, okay, I can do actually more with wine. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm sick at this. Like I can fucking crush this. Like, I still don't think I'm sick at it. <laughs> that one hasn't happened. <laughs> well, I, I think you're sick at it. <laughs> um, I was around 30. I was in a funny stage in life. By funny, I, I guess I mean it was uncomfortable. Um, I was depressed. Um, I had kind of lost my way. I knew that I didn't want to act anymore, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was working at Blue Water Grill. And I hadn't yet seen like, oh my God, I do want to stick to hospitality. This is an actual thing. I just thought working in restaurants was a way that you pay off your student loans, you know, the way that you try to be an actor. Like that's whatever, that's the big joke, the cliche. But I hadn't realized that you can literally take pride in this and make a career out of it if you want to. Um, And I... I, I was kind of heartbroken that I was no longer in love with acting. And I had this belief that um, I, I, I believed so strongly in myself and in, in my vision of acting and being in New York and like making that a lifestyle. And when I was able to admit to myself, oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. It was like, I lost my self-definition. And if you lose your self-definition, if you've told yourself for so long that you're going to move to New York, you're going to be an actor, and then you finally admit to yourself at some point, if it changes that you don't want to do that anymore, you're left or I was left with no self-definition. And that's a hard place to be. Um, Especially in New York where you're surrounded by the swarm of people who seem to know exactly what they want to do. If you don't know what you want to do, you feel like you can barely keep your head above water. Um, And so I was wrestling with that. I was partying a lot and just generally not taking care of myself. And loving my friends, it's easier, I think, to love other people than to love yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, at one point, I, I talked to a friend and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of this funk, this depression, you know, I'm unhappy. And a friend said, you just need to, like, you said you unplugged your heart from acting. Just plug your heart into something else. At some point, your heart will jumpstart again. And then your heart motor will be going again. And once it's going, you'll be on your path. And I was like, well, I guess I like this wine thing, you know, I guess I'll try that. And so I just made, like, it was, you know, and uh, so I was like, okay, I guess I'll try this. Um, and I made all these little flashcards and started studying a lot on my own. Um, and I, at one point, right when I turned 30, one of my regulars at Blue Water Grill, when I was bartending, um, he was the editor of Forbes Life magazine. And he would come to the bar every day and sit down and have like a bottle of Chablis and a chopped salad. Um, I look back on this now, I'm like, how the fuck was he drinking a bottle of Chablis at lunch? Like, what was he doing? (laughs) Was he going back to the office, you know? At the time, I didn't even think about that because I had never done that. So I didn't know what that felt like. Now I'm a boss at that. That comes with the territory, like when you, the get territory. when you get your certification. Yeah, muscles like, in that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but a, back then, I was like, "Man, what a life!" And I asked him. I I was like, "That guy seems like he has it figured out." And he was, you know, I was thirty. He was probably sixty-five. This was not a sexual thing. Um, and I was like, I he he was like, I I traveled to Stad, and I'm like, I don't even know where the fuck Stad is. <laughs> I, I, uh, I knew that he worked at Forbes Life. And so I had a friend uh, who was also in journalism contact him. I had, I had a friend find his phone number. 
um, my friend gave me his phone number and I cold called him and I was like, hello, Gary, um, this is Carla, your bartender at Blue Water Grill. I got your number from a friend and I was hoping that we could have a meeting. I'd like to have a call with you or a meeting. I, I have some questions to ask you. And he, and then it was this, this was his voice message. I hung up and I was like, oh my God, my heart was pounding. And he called me right back. And he's like, how'd you get my number? And I was like, I had a friend. It's <laughs> like, you fucking crazy bitch. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Um, and he's like, you have some questions to ask me? And I was like, yes, I do. And he said, okay, let's have a bottle of wine and you can ask me your questions. Um, and so soon thereafter, we sat down and he's like, what do you want to know? And I said, I want to know how to get to where you are in life. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, you are successful in your career. You travel, you eat, and you drink well. And those are the things that I want in my life. And he said, well, he's like, you clearly have balls. He's like, you found your way here. Yes. You've, you found my number. Um, and, you, and you're asking for what you want. He said, you have enough charisma, enough moxie to make it doing whatever you want. He's like, you could sell hats on the street corner in New York and be just fine um, and be successful. So wow. he's like, choose one of those three things and school yourself in that and make yourself indispensable to your employer. That's literally the quote that he gave me. And I was like, okay, I literally wrote it down. Um, and so the next day I went to WSET and I said, okay, I'd like to sign up for some wine classes. And they were too expensive and I couldn't afford them. So I was the guy who showed up early and set out the spit buckets. And then the guy who left after everyone else and fucking cleaned out the spit buckets oh. and like got, you know, got like, got a discounted rate and was able to, to take classes. And that was the first kind of movement towards wine. And then when I started working at the Breslin, um, I was working at Hearth at the time yeah. uh, with Paul Greco. Uh, and then I also was working at the Breslin. The Breslin had just opened the lobby of the Ace Hotel. The rest restaurant itself wasn't open yet. Yeah. And I got my a job as a bartender at the Breslin. Uh, and we hadn't even officially opened yet. We'd done like friends and family. And Ken Friedman, uh, the owner of the restaurant, so along yeah. with April, Ken pulled me aside and he said, please get yourself a beer and sit down. And I was like, fuck, I'm getting fired. Like I just started this job. I don't know. I don't even know what I've done. Um, <laughs> And he sat me down in one of these booths in the Breslin and he like closed the curtain uh, and he had a beer as well. And he goes, I hear you're studying wine. And I was like, yes. And my heart was just like, Pfft. yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. And uh, he said, would you like to take over the wine program here? And um, I knew I'm, I'm a big believer in like your higher self. You know, you hear this voice sometimes in your head or in your heart and your dreams. Like I believe that's another part of yourself. It's a part of you. It's whatever you want to fucking call it. Some people call it God, but that little voice in my mind was like, this is the thing you've been asking. You've wanted a chance to plug your heart into something else. Yeah. And this is the moment you asked for a window and this is it. And the rule is, if you ask for something, you have to receive it when it comes, in my yeah. mind. Like, if you don't want it, don't put the energy out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Put it out there. It yeah. is, it is, it is. And at some point, it's like the boy who cried wolf. At some point, like, the, you can just put all this out there, but it won't come back with the same integrity, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay. I, and I tried to play it cool, and I just said, yeah, yes, I'd love to take over the wine program. And I had no <laughs> idea what that meant. No one had taught me how to do that. I didn't know how to make a budget, um, nothing. And I, so I asked, like I threw my arm over this like high banquette and it just looked so uncomfortable. Um, 
it was like a really high banquette, like above my shoulder. And I threw my arm up because I thought it was going to be like a power move. And it was just like hanging up here. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, it feels so stupid. But I played it cool. And I was like, I'd love to take over the wine project. Uh, what's my budget? And he's like, I didn't, if, if he answered something, I wouldn't even have known what that meant, you know? No idea, but I thought it was a business question. And he said, I'm gonna give you enough rope to hang yourself. He goes, you don't have a budget. I just wanna see what you can do. And from there, um, my, at that time, uh, desire to want to be good at something, desire to want to love something again. And the need I think I had to define myself again and like find a self-definition again all of those were in play and I probably wasn't even aware of it wow. but he when he said do you want this and I said yes I do I literally walked out from that meeting and I called my friend and I was like I don't know what this means I looked up on Google I Google searched how do you buy wine I had no, <laughs> no fucking idea no what way. I was doing. dead serious dead serious <laughs> And I, it, very quick, I was like, I, you have to ask questions. So my first meeting with a rep, um, I asked a friend of mine who is a bartender, I was like, how do I even find reps? And she's like, you're working at an April Bloomfield restaurant. They will fucking find you. Don't you worry. They will yeah, be banging yeah. on the door. Um, and they finally started coming. And my first meeting was with a woman who I still very much am grateful for, um, Teresa Ryder at Skernick. Um, she, she, she sat down for our first meeting and I said, Teresa, it's lovely to meet you. I have something to tell you. I don't know what I'm doing. I do know what lines I like because I'd been working at Hearth and at Blue Water Grill and I'd taken notes about all of these wines that I was in love with um, and what I loved about them. So I said, I have a list of wines that I love. I don't know how to buy them. I don't know this process. Like, please teach me. And she didn't balk. She was very patient and she said, no problem. And wow. from there, you, you just ask questions and you learn humility real quick. Yeah. And then some people are really kind and some people aren't and you sidestep those people and you create a community of people who are friendly and yes. who aren't um, negatively competitive and right. who are supportive and who are present. And that's what I did. I feel you on that. That's so awesome. So once you got that position and you've, you got, let's say you got your feet wet and this, it's obviously you're killing it. You, You've appeared to have done well at that spot. Yeah. When you dined out, if you ever had the time to dine out, what was your like first VIP restaurant experience? Like you made a reservation. They knew that Carla Rizza Betts was walking in, and we had to make an experience. Can you, yeah. can you recall that? You, I. Oh, let's see. Um, one of the moments that sticks in my mind the most, and that's when I realized, oh my God, I've done work that people recognized and respected, which was shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Um. Richard and I, this was after I left the restaurants and Richard and I were like on our three month uh, road trip across the US. And we were in a restaurant called Passion Fish right outside Monterey, California. And Richard had been there, I had never been there. And we ordered a bottle of wine and the woman, the sommelier came over and she said, you're Carla. She said, I just wanna thank you for what you've done. I think you're amazing. And I just, I like had tears in my eyes and I was like, oh my fuck, what? Yeah. Like, how did the word, how did word reach California? What did I do? Like, it was just the most, my heart was like, just yeah, exploding. Holy shit, I can't believe someone noticed. Yeah. And she's just like, you're not really supposed to, <laughs> what's it called, the Swanye effect? You're not really supposed <laughs> to like, 
do that ever. You're not supposed to just walk up to somebody and just be like, you're this person. No, I, it was a gift. It was such a what, gift. I'm glad it was received that way because that I would feel that way too. Somebody was like, hey, Aaron Mays, thank you. If somebody comes up to you and says, "What? What? something that you've done is good, is beautiful, I'm grateful for it. You fucking hug that person. You know what yeah, I mean? for real. In my mind. Yeah. So did you ever, I know you say you didn't dine out a lot, and if you did, it was Red Lobster. How is that? Did you ever see yourself as a kid having that experience or being able to have experiences oh, like no, that? No, no, no. I really believed I was going to be an actor. I really, and, and I was good at acting. I thought I was good. I felt good doing it. And I knew I could affect people, which is the same thing I realized um, in restaurants, um, waiting tables, selling wine to people teaching staff wine class, which I loved. It was probably my favorite part of that job. Yeah. Um, that is all the same thing as being on a stage uh, and giving a piece of yourself to the audience. It's the same thing. You are right. telling a story, you're inviting someone in to come with you on an emotional experience, and you're saying you are safe. You're in my hands and I'm not going to drop you. You're in my house. Oh. I. I I claim all of this and you're here and I claim you like you are, you are held. Yeah. Do this. I have this theory of everybody walks in, like there's a shoulder theory. I think everybody walks in like this, a little straight, a little tight. They all walk in, they're being sat, walk to their table. They sit down and they're like, I got these, my walls are up, my shoulders are up. And the job as the service person, as the sommelier, the, the server, they all work in tangent. Even the back waiter can give a certain aesthetic too. They one time can say something great and be like, wow, they love that. And all of a sudden you see the shoulders go down. By the end of the service, they're laid back. <laughs> they're all sprawled out. They're just like, the legs are up. We'd have a That's problem at Legacy flipping tables because people got way too comfortable. The yeah. experience was just so like, you know, I could be here all day. Like, yeah. what? Leather tables, Zalto, glasses, yeah. music. Like, Those leather tables though, huh? Woo. Uh, <laughs> A pain. We went to friends and family and we sat at the table and I like drew my, my nail across the table and it made a mark. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of all, what did you do? <laughs> it's going to be so hard to work with these, but whoa, do they feel good. There's a funny story with, with the uh, leather tables. We had a, a family come in for brunch one time and it was a small kid and they thought they were doing the best thing possible by like taping down a mat oh, for, man. for their kid. Yes. And, in theory, great idea. Thank you for saving that area under the t under the mm -hmm. mat. But when they lifted it up, and Arvid Rosengren was right behind me, as I'm pulling it up, and he's just like, you can just see it just melt. <laughs> the thing. He's like, oh my god. He's like trying to buff it out. The stain to this day, it is on table 45. <laughs> I, it's on table 45 till this day. Good job, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk a little more about. Um, your uh, your company and approach to relaxation. Yeah, I was I was on the website and I thought it was super cool. I was very relaxed. <laughs> I, I felt I was like, wow, this is cool. This is chill. Like these guys, I'll, I'm gonna get a bottle. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. So how how did going in with your original vision, starting as a, just a sommelier, who aren't really known for making wine, but it's happening a lot more with you know Rajapar, like oh yeah, that's, for that's sure. like the Sandy wine. Like I'm not even really a true fan. Sorry, California, I'm not a fan of California wines personally. Yeah, yeah. But that is just crazy. Like, so I like had that vision when you first started to like what it is now. Okay. Um, the, you know, um, I never wanted to make wine. Um, really? Nah, nah. nah. Um, <laughs> the, the people would ask me, I had a few very well-known, like the leaders in our, um, 
in our industry come up to me and say, uh, like director of many, many very well-known restaurants, um, wine director for very many well-known restaurants in New York, um, come up and say, at the time that I was in the restaurant and say, Carla, when are you gonna start your own wine label? I can, I'm happy to help you with it. I'm happy to like guide you, show you, like you have to use this platform. Yeah. Um, many people said, when are you gonna start your own project? When are you gonna start your own project? Um, people who are still friends and I admire very, very much and are still in my mind, like way beyond me in terms of what they've accomplished. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's a big compliment to have somebody ask you that. Second of all, I was like, I don't want my own wine. Um, <laughs> what I love about the business is I loved teaching the staff. I loved sharing knowledge. I loved um, not having them be nervous about wine anymore. That felt like such a worthy gift to give, to invite somebody into wine and make it accessible. Um, and the food, I loved serving April's food. It was a blessing to be able to be the middleman from the fucking kitchen pass to the table because people were always happy and it felt good to give that. And so th that feeling of giving and inviting and sharing, that holding of people doesn't exist in winemaking to my experience. And so the winemaking itself, the wine itself was not my, I loved it, I love it, um, but that was not what I was in it for. Do you know what I mean? I was in it for the hospitality um, and not for the, just the wine, you know? I think some wine people lack hospitality. Like they don't even, they're in it for the wine themselves or for the pin or for the whatever, but they, they lack the, the love of, the, of service. And for me, it was always about service. Um, more so than the wine. So when I got together with Richard, um, decided to step down from the restaurants, go on a big road trip uh, across the US with him. And at some point I was like, okay, money's running out. Um, what am I gonna do? Um, at this point we were living in Boulder, Colorado. And I was like, got these student loans still, these fucking things are hounding me. I will say, we just paid them off. Literally nice. 10 years later, paid that shit. Not even 10 years. I graduated when I was 23, almost 20 years later. Boom, boom, boom. New York, boom. I got you. Yeah. yeah um, New York, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> well, yes, I win. Yeah. Um, actually, that's a lot of money. But in Boulder, Colorado, I was like, okay, what am I going to do for work? And Richard's like, you can get a job at Frasco with Bobby. And I was like, oh, first of all, I love Bobby Stuckey. All praise to Bobby Stuckey and everyone at Frasca. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, talk about service. My man knows how to give the best service. Wow. Um, and I was like, Richard, I need to figure out how to work. And he said, why don't we make a, why don't we do a project together? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to make wine. And he's like, well, let's do this thing together. We can figure it out. You will learn so much. And so we agreed to start a project and pick up where he had left off with Betts and Scholl. So he, Betts and Scholl had wine with uh, Randy Lewis in Napa, Jean-Louis Chauve, Hermitage. Um, and then also with Christian Canute at Resden in the Vinevale, which is where we still are now with an approach to relaxation. Um, he, that project ended in 2008 and he still had a love of Australian wines. I had a love of Australian wines that I had found before I even knew Richard, but mine was like all of the newer stuff from Yara and from, it wasn't Barossa stuff. It was like you know, Adelaide Hills and the natural stuff and the funky stuff and the more like cooler climate stuff, not the old school classic Barossan style. Yeah. Um, but Richard's like, why don't we just pick back up in the Barossa and see what's possible. And I knew his wines. I had sold his wines. I loved his wines. And I was like, fuck, those wines are good. Why not? So we started that up 
um, and it's in the Vineville in South Australia. It's literally the farthest possible place from where I live in Amsterdam. <laughs> it's such a long flight. Um, <laughs> the, um, but to answer your question, um, we decided to pick up there because the old vine material that exists there is, uh, there are many more old vines that exist there than any other place on the planet. And a lot of that is because in South Australia, phylloxera has not swept through. And so you have all these old vines that have kind of dodged the bullet with phylloxera. And so we started working, our vineyard now, we were not working with when we first started the project in 2014. We just wanted to work down there because we wanted to work with, at the time we were buying grapes from a 90 year old vineyard. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's all own rooted, dry grown in sand. And when you have uh, Grenache grown in sand, it is the warm climate analogy of Pinot Noir is the best way to describe it. Okay. It's all the red fruits, it's not the black fruits. Um, the rest of the Brosa Valley is on this heavy red clay and the Grenache that's grown on that clay is black fruited, very high in alcohol. Um, oh. Kind of big and, and boozy and like, yeah. it's like the cliche of the Brosa wine, you know what I mean? Like, but burly, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Boom. yeah. <laughs> but Grenache in sand right down the road when the when the sand changes to clay, Grenache in sand is the red fruits instead of the black fruits. Okay. And the one area in the Brussels where there's sand is at the foot of the hills, at the foot of um, the Eden Valley and the Brussels Ranges. And so the wine, the Grenache that comes from there is completely different than anywhere else in the wow. Brussels. Um, it's more like uh, I'm gonna call it out, Chateau Reyes. Um, this like very, very elegant style of Grenache. Yeah. And does it have alcohol? Of course it does, because Grenache needs to be grown in warmer weather. It wants that hang time, it wants the sun, it has a ton of sugar. Yeah. But the thing, the ways that the ways that you kind of balance that it's a um, ability to like wanna be kind of crazy and all over the place, like party grape, mm -hmm. um, is to first of all have old vines with slightly lower yields. Um, second of all, put it in a soil where that restrains what it's capable of showing. Um, and third, just the winemaking in general. We're not using new oak. So all of these were very, very exciting too, like young Carla Psalm head. Yeah. Um, and the chance to be challenged with a new project. Um, and so I still don't want to make wine. Like over the past, uh, I would say 18 months, I'm, I've been able to say to myself, Richard, I don't want to... Uh, try to do the same job anymore. And I was able eventually, um, and this is maybe six months before COVID, but this whole year of change is massive for me. Yeah. Um, I was able to say, I don't want to do the winemaking. The part of even our business that I love is the same shit that I loved before. Right. It's the sharing of the story. I love doing trade tastings. No other winemaker loves doing trade tastings. I fucking love it because you get to share it with people. You get yeah. to pour the wine and watch people go, oh my God. And then you're like, that's right. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're working on. Popular to say as a winemaker that your passion's not in winemaking, but but it seems like it's a two-headed dragon and it's 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 very synonymous and it's working well. And I, I guess that speaks to the success. You've been making um, your first vintage was in 2014. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like so here you are, and it must be the story, maybe the story the story's beautiful. Like you just told it to me, and like, and that was perfect. <laughs> like write that one down and sell that. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that, was, that it's exciting. It's I think I have lived a life that is not completely familiar to a lot of people you know um and i'm proud of that and i can i plan on continuing to do that 
but it's a cool story to tell and people are interested in hearing it. So why not wrap that up into um, we love wine. It's from this place that no one ever has heard about. No one knows that like lighter style wines can come from the yeah. Brosa to kind of open that up for people. And then to say, also, we live in Amsterdam. Like, no, we're not the winemakers who live on the vineyard and are like working the vines. We have a team that does that. We're in contact with them all the time, farming organically, doing all this stuff. We're, we're coming at this from a sommelier side rather than from a, like a vigneron side, like an old world vigneron side, you know? And so for a lot of people, they're like, well, you know, are you just phoning it in? Um, no one says that to your face, but I imagine that idea is out there. We're doing something totally different. We're living the life that we want to live, um, seeing the people and the places that we want to enjoy and like where we can give love back. And we can also make wine and share this with you. So it's a, it's a newer style of winemaking, I think, and of living life uh, than a lot of people might be familiar with. With all that good... I just want to see how did it get did it ever get ugly at any point. So I think the answer might be that like I'm probably my worst detractor. Like I have there's that higher self voice and there's also the little devil voice that's like I doubt you, Carla. I doubt you, Carla. And I think that's probably where that comes from. It's like, yeah, but you're not doing it the the classic way, you know. If I was doing it the classic way, I would be miserable. And I don't mean living on the vineyard. I mean like if I was living my life classically, I would be miserable. Um, it was kind of, I, I could have done that. And it, it, I've never worked in an office. Like it never fit me. I sold knives door to door at one point. I was a nude model. Like I'm not able to hold a job that's, that's easily, uh, I don't know, that's like a normal job, whatever that means. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yeah. Knives door to door is not a fucking normal job. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, that's how my soul moves and that's how it wants to move. So you got to answer to that first, even if you are a little self-conscious sometimes that it's a little too crazy. Um, everyone is being uh, made to reimagine how we move forward. And while it's uncomfortable, it is a huge gift to be able to, in the middle of life for many of us, to be able to have the freedom to like break open these things that you thought you were or the, whether you thought your business was or you thought your service was or whatever and just be like, all right, we're going to do this a different way. Like, what a wonderful, wonderful yeah. moment of growth. Yeah. Back yeah, to yeah, the yeah. drawing board, back to square right. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah, so I think in terms of moving forward with wine, um, with our project specifically, um, I think it's, for me, getting comfortable with right now. I'm comfortable with it, so it's, it's not so much getting more comfortable with. I spent the last 18 months becoming okay with not doing the same job as Richard in our company and admitting to myself that I really do like the, the background stuff, like the trade taste, like the non-glamorous stuff is actually the stuff that I have more joy in. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of that, those ideas were like changing and moving and they all became solidified in COVID. So we haven't yet started again where I get to like be comfortable with and activate myself in that way do you know what i mean like um i, I have the opportunity because everything's on pause to start living this new freedom that i have of like cool so you're going to do this in the business and i'm going to do this in the business and like let's see what this looks like so we'll see we'll see i i feel good about it like i feel again more like my center feels like it's anchored right into the earth and it didn't feel that way before and so whatever comes from that has to be good it has to be good so 
We'll see. We shall see. We shall and that, see. And I think that's a perfect time to get a brief intermission. We're going to just let the wine do its thing, take a little rest. We come, we're going to come back and talk about how New York featured in your career. Awesome. Can't wait. We'll be right back. With, thank you. The wine on this episode was sponsored by the good people at La Luz Selections, a licensed importer, broker, and communication company located out of Portland and New York City that sources wines of great value being produced with transparency by good people. Find their wines in your local New York City wine shop. Hey everyone, I hope you are all staying safe and healthy out there. The world right now is a scary place, and I truly believe that everyone should be taking the necessary precautions. In a city like New York, delivery services are literally saving lives. And here at Hot Plates and Grapes, we try to do our part to help as well. Instacart is an online delivery service where you can have a large range of produce, groceries, yes, even wine brought right to your door. Personally, I use it very frequently and you would love how easy and convenient it is to use. So follow the link in our description box or go to Instagram and click our link tree to start shopping today. And remember, tip your delivery person and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. The Hot Plates and Grace podcast was brought to you by Delicious Hospitality Group. The group that brought you Charlie Bird, Pasquale Jones, Legacy Records, Ada's Place, Easy Victor's Cafe, and a brand new restaurant that's coming soon. These are my favorite places in Manhattan where you can eat great food, drink fantastic wine, and listen to a fire curated playlist. Place an order today. Now back to the show. And we're back with the Hot Plates and Grapes podcast. I have Carla Rizza Betts, the Rizza, the Jizza, the Sizza. We're Whoop. back at it. And it's been a lovely conversation so far. We want to get back and talk about New York and how that featured in your career, starting with NYU, going to school, being Southern California based. You crossed the whole playing field to come here. What was the inspiration? Obviously, like what, what, what sold you on New York? Because I'm pretty sure being the talent and the person you are, you had options. Oh. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that. That's a compliment, thank you. <laughs> um, the, I didn't, my parents, I love them very, very much. I love them more than anything. Um, and, but they don't know much about, uh, they didn't teach us much about handling money um, we didn't have a lot of money. And so if you don't have a lot of money, you know more about debt than you do about uh, not being in debt. And you be, living in debt is just kind of like a, an assumption. Like that's just part of life. Otherwise, like wh where's the money coming from, you know? And so I grew up with that kind of awareness of the world. Um, and so when I took a trip, when I was 16, with my boyfriend at the time to visit his family in New York. I had never been to New York and I absolutely loved it. Um, my heart and my brain were like on fire. I was like, this energy here is familiar to me. I fit here I, and I need to come here. Um, I didn't think about moving there. I was just like, I love this place. Like we're vibrating on the same level. And then when we were walking one day randomly down near Washington Square Park, I remember looking up and seeing the NYU uh, banners, like that purple torch. Uh, 
And I didn't realize it was NYU at the time. I didn't even know what NYU was, uh, but I saw those purple banners and I was like, I know those, like those are familiar to me. And I was like, this is a college. I was like, I'm, I'm going here. This is weird, <laughs> like, okay, cool. I'm going to college here. And I knew that I wanted to act, but I had no idea that NYU even had a great acting program. I just saw the banners and I was like, I, I, my heart knows this, my, my gut knows this, some part of me knows this, like I'm coming to school here. And I went back to my Tustin High School in Southern California and I went to my, uh, my like, you know, my counselor and my, and she was like, where are you going to school? And I was like, NYU. And she was like, oh, really? Yeah. It's not easy to get into. And I was like, I'm going to get into the acting program. She's like, are you sure? And like, she, her fucking job, by the way, should be to support, not to doubt, but right. whatever. Um, <laughs> up until that point, she's like, they have a great acting program. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and so I applied to uh, audition and they accepted and I auditioned and I got in. Um, at the time I was living in Hawaii and I knew that I, even if I got in, I wasn't going to go. I just flew myself from Hawaii back to Los Angeles to audition because I wanted to know what the process looked like. And I wanted to know that I could get in. I got in. I said, thank you so much, but I'm not coming. Can I defer for a year? And they're like, no, we don't accept deferments. You have to audition again. I was like, no problem. I went and traveled through Asia and did a bunch of, I stayed in a monastery and studied Buddhist meditation and like went off grid for months um, and then came back and applied again and got in again. Um, the, my, my, all that to say, my journey to New York was not a clear one. And I started this with talking about money. My parents were like, fuck, we totally, we trust your gut. If you think you need to go to New York, go. We, you are going to be an actor, go. We'll do anything we can to support you, but we don't have any money. So figure out how to get all these student loans. Um, and great, got student loans, got some scholarships. Uh, and once I graduated school, um, I realized that I had a ton of debt, a ton of debt, like $125,000 worth oh, I of debt. I believe it. And that was, what? That was, now it's like probably 200,000. Dude, that was for two years. What? Two years. Unreal. But that's kind of how I got to New York. Um, in terms of how I kind of vibe with the city, um, I showed up and I, I contacted a, an uncle who I'd never met before. My grandma, my grandmother was like, contact this relative. He'll pick you up from the airport. I contacted him. He's like, sure, I'll pick you up from the airport. My bags were lost, but I like... I got there and I was like, I'm in fucking New York. And um, <laughs> I wasn't 21 yet, I was 20. And he took me out to like pizza across from my dorm and I ordered a glass of Pinot Grigio or whatever it was and he let me do it. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm drinking, I'm not 21, he's fine with it. Like I'm living in New York. And it was, it, that was the beginning of my deep, deep, deep love affair with that city, which continues to this day. Yeah. I will not live in New York again because she and I have had our time together, oh, man. but um, it's where my heart is infinitely more than where I came from. It is amazing. I got here for the first time and I'm from a slower part of life in Virginia. Um, still, there's people who do things, but it's still technically slow. By nine o'clock, you're, you're done. Yeah. It's, amaz it's amazing to see, like, I was blown away at traffic at 1 a.m. <laughs> totally. How is this what, possible? Yeah, how, how what is, is everyone going? Yeah, what is yeah, what is happening to, right now that you need to be going somewhere? Yeah, me away. Yeah. And I'm yeah. off work at like 12:30. Like, oh, we're going here. It's open till yeah. four. But we the night begins. Yeah. yeah. 
And yeah, it's, yeah. oh, we're going to go to this pizza joint. They're open at 5. Oh, it's right across the street. Be there until 6 a.m. The sun's coming up. You're like, how did I get to this point? Like, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. So it's awesome. the best. What a, what a heart that city has. Yeah. Ste- steady beating, steady beating. Oh. All this talk now about like, ah, New York's not coming back from COVID. Fuck that. Like, New York will be just fine. New York has made it through so many iterations of itself. Like, there's, that, that city worries about nothing. Right. <laughs> it's going to be fine. The people like, make the culture. That land itself has its own energy, but that's not New York's energy. The people make the energy. Right. I do think that there's like a general, I think your question at the beginning of this discussion, how I am, how my family is, it's such a smart question. It's a heart smart question. Um, people need to be asked that right now, especially in yeah. New York. I see my friends in New York and I talk to them and they have a, they have a, uh, there's a darkness around them yeah um and it's a it's it's the it's people need to be asked if they're okay the reason why i do that is because i when growing up there was a football player who made it out of my high school the first one to make it first one to win he won a super boring with the ravens tory smith wide receiver great guy he's really active they finished his last season with the panthers a couple years ago but he's like our hero and he stopped coming back home after a while and we were like what happened like he would come to our, um, the high school, teaches like the basketball camps, and like I was like, oh man, that's our hero. And then he re- he said like the reason why I don't come back anymore is because when I come home, they ask me how's football, how's what I'm doing, what I'm. It's always business. It's never how's my family. I grew up here. I'm from here. Why is nobody asking me how I'm doing specifically? Like why is it always? I, I do football every day, but like me as a person, like can you ask me how I'm doing? What he's saying, the public stuff, he's like, you can see the public stuff anywhere. That's how you know that I have this career. You know how the public stuff is going. You know how the sports are going. Like, ask me who I am, like, on the inside, ask me how my heart is. Like, how is your heart? Yeah, so this kind of ties, like, when you mentioned the energy of the city, kind of ties into the next question I have. Comparing to other cities, what kept you here for 12 years? Was it the expertise, diversity of the cuisine, the style, or just the simple aesthetics of the city i think uh literally those purple nyu like purple torch things i i saw that and i was like i'm coming to school in this school and then i found out that they had a, a drama program and then all of this kind of like you know teetered from there um but the like uh what kept me in the city after i found my way there through these fucking banners um is this is the the city itself when i lived there i i believed wholeheartedly that I was living in the center of the universe. And I think a lot of New Yorkers do. Like you live there and you're like, like this is strong. I live in the center. Everything orbits around this place. Um, and this energy is, not only is it unmistakable, it's very New York, but also like it doesn't sleep. It doesn't quit. Um, it doesn't complain. It just moves. It just creates. It just keeps going. That uh, like kinetic energy for me was addictive. You you get like zipped up into it, and once you're in it, you for me, I couldn't figure out how to relax. I couldn't figure out how to take care of myself. I couldn't figure out how to, um, especially when I got in the restaurants, how to have a healthy relationship. Like I realized I was dating my job. Um, and so the city itself, like, how did I stay there that long? This, that energy is really, really compelling for yeah. me. Um, and that just like drive hard thing. Um, 
first of all, it's sexy to me. Second of all, it's really exciting to me. Yeah. Um, and third, it's like, fuck, I can meet that. Like, oh, so this is the best city on the planet. Everyone says that when you live in New York. When you live in Paris, they say it's Paris. <laughs> or anyone else, they say it's Paris. But like, when you're in New York, you're like in the center, you know, in your mind. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I can match that. Like, I can be here. Um, and I think once I got the jobs in the restaurants and I was able to like climb uh, my way into that position and um, farther than I ever thought that I was going to, um, I felt like I could, I was matching the city's energy. And that sense of power is very addicting and very exciting. And yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think any New Yorker, there's a competition, there's ego and there's power those three things are really very intoxicating so that's how i stayed there (laughs) (laughs) and i left i was only able to leave when i found something more intoxicating and it's that man who just walked out the door well there you go yeah (laughs) i gotta find my my intoxication (laughs) yes you do everybody does everybody does everybody does and like that's what what else are we doing if not that touche got it I need to hear your either depends on what's going to be the showstopper, the best experience or the worst experience you've had in New York City. Let's see. I'm just going to free ball this here. Like, I'm going to give you what's popping up in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Whatever's first, whatever comes. Yeah. In terms of service, um, and this has nothing to do with wine, um, and there's this is of a graphic nature, um, but in working in the Breslin, it's an emotional one because it's really delicate. Um, There, I was working lunch one day. Um, I was there, I was working dinner, but I was there like, you know, stocking wine or doing whatever during the day. And um, I was on the floor and there, someone was like, you have to go check table 32, go check table 32. Um, And there was a woman who was having, she was obviously in a state of emergency. So, uh, you know, hospital was called, ambulance called, all of this. Um, And what was happening was that this woman was having a miscarriage at the table. And she didn't know what to do. And her husband didn't know what to do. And they had maybe like a two-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old in along with them. And it was just the three of them at the table. The husband was in shock, the woman's in shock, and she's going through the miscarriage like in lunch service. But it was towards the end of lunch service that there weren't any tables around her. So like the staff was able to like safeguard her. Um, but she she was taken care of at one point, like we brought up all of these linens to clean everything up and make sure that she was taken care of. But she's like, I, I need new clothing. So I went with her husband and her husband said, I don't know what size uh, underwear she wears. I don't know like what to buy her. Can you come with me? And so we went from the Breslin up to uh, some department store and we shopped for things for her and like helped pick out a few things so that she could be dressed uh, regularly as she walked out. And on the way back from the department store back to the restaurant, he was in such a spacey state. Um, He'd just gone through this huge shock and he was traumatized. Obviously, he just lost his baby and he had his daughter with him in like very young daughter who for sure felt the energy but didn't know the logistics of what was happening and he's like i just need i need a drink he goes i need to just i need a shot i don't know what to do to calm my nerves and i was like i hear you i see you 
and I'll watch your kid and you dip into that bar and do whatever you need to do and take your time, like take space. Like you are held, your baby's held. My staff is taking care of your wife. Like, don't you worry about a thing. Wow. He comes back out and he's like, thank you. He, his wife and his daughter, we take care of them, they leave. And so that's kind of one of the big moments I think in, for New York, for me, like, um, it's surreal that all of this shit is whizzing around you all of, all the time and your heart can be like being pummeled by something and you're expected to be ready to talk about both of them in the same moment right. and be fine to go into service that night right. and have to go talk to your staff about how they feel about it. And then also show up to a table and just be like, tell me how I can help you. Like, what, what do you want to experience tonight? And so it's a trip how much being in the industry in New York asks of you and what a gift it is to be able to share and, and give, but fuck, is it challenging? You gotta like flip the, be able to flip that switch and sometimes people can't, it's too fast sometimes. That's, that's deep. Like with that being said, like contribution wise, you gave um, a really good experience to, to somebody just then with like pretty much, um, I wanna say coddling, but making someone feel better, like giving them what they need to feel better. Maybe yeah. my first choice probably wouldn't be to get a drink but in that situation, that was what was called for. And you- You don't know unless it happens to you what your first choice will be. Right, so what are you bringing, like, what do you feel like you're bringing to the table in the service industry that's different from everybody else? Because I feel like most people wouldn't know how to do that. They wouldn't know how to- I think you just listen. Call, yeah, be able to listen, see the call. Some people might be just so endowed into the, the business side of it, be like, oh, well, legally, I can't do that, 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 and the other. You were able to just say, fuck all that. You need that? I just saw what happened, we all just saw what happened we can throw away the legalities for a little bit to take I think for this moment. The ultimate hospitality is, is taking care of whoever's in front of you that needs it. Like if we are going to, in our industry, get stuck in the paperwork of taking care of people, you've lost the point. Um, you're no longer taking care of the person, you're taking care of the paperwork. Um, the, our job is to take care of people. Our job is to listen to them and if they say, I need this, even if it wouldn't be what you chose for yourself in that moment, it doesn't matter. Like you don't judge that. You just, as long as it's safe and everyone is okay, yeah. you try to provide that. And that doesn't mean that I would do that at a table, something equivalent to that. Someone's like, I just need to rail up right here and like do a big line of Coke. Like, okay, well that's not, that's not the type of self-care I'm offering. But <laughs> like, I lost my dog and I need some cocaine. They're like, um, no. No. no, but like that's a moment of, that's a, that's, that is a moment where you, I, I felt very comfortable um, giving whatever, giving that man what he needed to feel uh, not crazy and not terrified and that he could like go back and, and say to his wife, and he came back out in like three minutes, you know what I mean? He wasn't in there like pounding drinks. It was just something to like calm his nerves and he came yeah. back out and like, thank you. And he like got himself together and like went back and like spoke to the, the ambulance and like it, he, I totally get that. I totally get that. Has that always been your mindset and your approach? I got it from my grandma. It's take care of people. And I also saw in my family, like she didn't take care of some people. She would feed them, but in a group, like if something funny was happening in our family, she chose to not look at that and to just focus on feeding people. And so I've learned that I don't want to do that. I want to look at who needs it and try to give them what they want and what they need and, and not drop them. I feel you on that. Wow. That's super touching. Wow. Yeah. 
hospitality. You do it too. I do. I, I, I guess I do. But I, sometimes I don't really stop to notice it so much because I guess working in today's society, everything is like, I don't think there's like a, the pace for it. The pace is like higher. I want to do that. I want to be able to like, by the end of the night, know something about you that you probably would never shared me on a first encounter. Let's say we were on a rooftop, you know, just drinking whatever. It would be business. But I was able to, in a couple interactions, find out something about you and give you the service. And you left. Like, thank you so much. Like, so many times that people leave and they're just like, yo, appreciate you, man. Have a good night. Like, that's yeah. that's a win. That's the job, right? <laughs> that's what we all signed up for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I right. see myself <laughs> in this industry a lot, a, lo a long time, because, like, I, I realized that what you can bring to the table, what things you can do um, in, in a short period of time, that is just groundbreaking. And You're a cushion between them and the rest of their day, their world, their family, their partner. You're a cushion between them and anything else that threatens to make them happy. Yeah. And if they're enjoying all that other shit around them, then you open the doors wide, wide open. And you're like, tell me what you need to make this a bigger, like fucking fire. Like make, let's make it great. <laughs> yeah. Let's make it great. Yeah. Super great. Lovely. Yeah. So I know you like the question I mentioned, we mentioned before of like, okay, what now? What are you going to do now? Um, 18 months from now, like, you know, the, the, the idealism is not really solidified yet. You're still working on you. That's great. Like, I, have a, I have a better answer for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you finish first and then I'll see if I can wrap mine into your answer. It's more so like for where, where from here? Cause like you have an like, um, amazing, like mindset, great approach to, to, to the industry. Like how further are you want to make your voice heard? Like how much are you, how far are you willing to go? What, where do you see your career going from here with that mindset? I'm, I, I want to work on our project. I love our project. I love our project. And I'm falling even deeper in love with our project because I'm able to meet it on a level that feeds me in the way that I need to be fed. And Richard's being fed in the way that he needs to be fed professionally from our project. And both of us are like, this is so fucking cool. We don't need to do the same thing. Like we can, we can split jobs and both of us are going to be happy doing that you know like that is a smart thing took us years to get here <laughs> took us years to get here but we're here and so like great so now we get to like rally around that strength it's a better structure for us and for the the project itself um so that i think will continue on its trajectory Lovely. um and i think um making my voice heard in this industry i it's a strange thing like um I'm not a bottle shot on Instagram girl. I'm not like a, uh, I'm not a loud voice anymore in the industry um, because I'm just not on a pedestal anymore. Like I had a, a job as a pedestal before and I don't have a job like that with like a big microphone uh, attached to it. Yeah. And so I'm fine just to, for a while I wasn't fine with it. For a while my ego was like, mother like i want to get back in there like i want a bigger and now i'm like it's all good like i'm really really happy uh not having to perform in that way um and just doing my own thing yeah. um so i this conversations like this um are a godsend because it ropes me back in in the best way in the most like inclusive like cool braid type of way um, to uh, the industry that I'm in, deeply in love with and care very much about um, and to like check back in with you and see how your service is going and yeah. how it feels for you like on the ground in New York and in the Hamptons. Like this is a, this is 
what could be better than a conversation like this for me um, outside of in my mind do you know what i mean like this yeah. is a real treat thank you oh of course thank you thank you so much I, i'm glad i could provide that i mean i gotta say me and anthony worked on these um the questions you know we, we try to make it to where it is like just a lovely conversation like it's it's a worth and, and the whole checking in with people like it's all it's you're creating something really really uh healthy i think um so to be part of the industry in this way i think the industry like we've both noted and everyone is aware of um is going to change quite a bit and so i think it's yet to be seen like how we can all be uh supportive um and um active in, in a very new way. Um, Richard and I, uh, this happened about mm, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Um, he took the last of his uh, Provencal Rosé project, the My Essential Rosé, and he donated, I was donating time to Frontline Foods, yeah. um, which raises money for, um, at the time, people who were working uh, on the front lines of all of the medical support uh, during the time of COVID in the United States. And based on donations, all 100% of the money would go to restaurants who were trying to drum up business at that time, and they were trying not to go out of business, would pay these restaurants to create uh, meals in bulk for frontline food workers. Okay. So money comes in, goes to the restaurants in need, and then goes to people who actually need it who are on the front lines. Like, amazing. Awesome. Frontline foods, fucking awesome. They've since partnered with World Central Kitchen, which is Andre, um, Jose Andres's. Yeah, I've, I've, met him. I've met him. I got a signed book from him. What a great guy. What a, what a hero. Yeah, Fucking dude. say that, man. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Like, we gave that one shout out to Jose Andres, my dude. Um, I will give this time to you to plug in your own projects, people you love, you want to show some love to, and uh, people that you, you know, give your shout outs. I'm going to come great. back for a little bit and you just throw them in there, you know? Great. So we, Richard and I, he gave this rosé, um, I, we, this is what we came up with. We're gonna make champagne sweatshirts that say sham fucking pain hoodies. And Richard gave his rose. We put on our website and on all of our social media platforms, um, buy this shit and 100% of the proceeds, all the profits, we had to like pay for, you know, all the logistics, but 100% of the profits go to Frontline Foods. Um, and then we matched part of that to go to the bail project um, and that's, uh, they raise money and it goes into uh, essentially like a kitty of money that's used to pay people's bail who can't afford it on their own. And the money gets recircled and recircled and recircled. Good. So people who can't afford bail money are given the support that they need. Um, we were able to raise 15 grand doing that. That ended about two, uh, two months ago. And we're going to do the same exact thing, not with Rosé, but with sweatshirts and we'll figure something else too. Um, in the next month or so. And we haven't figured out which charity we're gonna work with there, but that money will all, again, go to somebody else. Yeah. Um, so I think using just our social media platforms to help other people um, and to raise awareness of who could use help um, is a really big thing. Um, personally, what are we doing? Richard and I both, uh, Richard's like a big art guy and he's gotten me into art, um, but we buy from people of color and from LGBTQ community and that's it. Um, and women, but like no cis white men <laughs> don't own any of them. Um, they have enough. Um, <laughs> like support everyone else. That's cool. Um, it's a that. big deal. Like raise voices, raise voices. Um, another, I want to plug Richard for a minute. He does um, scratch and sniff books. He did, did a scratch and sniff wine book that hit the New York Times bestseller list. 
He's done scratch and sniff whiskey, scratch and sniff beer, and also coming out soon is scratch and sniff weed. Oh my God, scratch send me that book. Marijuana. Send and, me that. <laughs> and 100% of the money that he makes will be given away. Ooh. All of the money. Um, I'm gonna buy that, don't send it to me, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah, <laughs> it's that, like it's time to spread, spread, spread. Like the moment is tough, right? People, people need it. Um, and voices have been raised and like, let's help everybody who fucking needs it across the board, different countries, different ethnicities, different sexual orientations, like who can you help? Um, so he's doing that. Um, and then my very, that's like a big public thing that Richard's doing. My offer is going to be a quiet one, but I think it will still be very, very useful. Um, I did this is going to sound so strange maybe, but like yoga teacher training during the time of COVID. Um, and I'm going to take all of that and just hand it out. Um, so yeah, I'm going to teach whoever in my circle in Amsterdam for right now, like whoever wants to learn yoga for free. Great. Let's get together. I will teach you how to listen to your body and how to breathe and how to chill the fuck out and how to block all of the noise yeah. and how to be with yourself. And from there, we'll see what happens. If that grows into anything, or if people elsewhere want Zoom classes or whatever, like if the thing I'm learning right now is internal work and it's quiet and it's not public, there's still a way that I can share that. So that's what I'm working on. So it seems like you're working on a lot of generous and a lot of passion projects. And I'm to. all for them. And I, and I wish you the best of success with that. I know for a fact I'm going to contribute for sure, because I'm standing behind you. I believe you have the guarantee of it's gonna be, it's gonna be great. I'm, I'm sold, you got me. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, Carla, thank you so much. It's been like super, super awesome speaking with you. It's a pleasure meeting you and having the chance to talk to some of your caliber. Like I've learned a lot. I've opened up a part of myself that I can't wait to throw it, my energy back out to the universe because you, you just rejuvenated me once more because I'm trying to be a great person in the industry, trying to accomplish a lot. And hearing from you has just set me over the edge. I'm glowing. My cheeks are up here, rosy, feeling good. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I hope so your much. wine went well with the conversation. My wine went really well with the conversation. It was a perfect pairing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, it was so awesome. And shout out Agatha Capacion uh, for, for setting Yes. She's, she's yes. the the greatest of all time, um, helped launch the whole project in general, and then set me up with an amazing person to have an amazing conversation. And I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's, someone, it's, a 11 it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast. So I've been a little earlier with it, but it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I was willing for it. Like, she was like, get ready for that 9 a.m. wine. I was like. <laughs> get up and stretch for that 9 a.m. wine. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I woke up this morning. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing all this stuff. <laughs> So I want to um, end out on this. At Legacy Records, at the every meeting, after every sort of conversation we had about the service we're going to do, about our shift notes, the wine notes, the, the chef kid is thing, we always close it out with a 3-2-1 clap. Because uh, Peter Andrew, it's, it's a pretty much a sports thing. Panda! Yeah. <laughs> he was my GM at the Breslin. I worship, love him. Dude. Sorry, continue. So he, he brought to the table this the three two one clap because it really showed the energy. If you synchronized it and you killed it, great service. If you blew it, I don't I don't know. 
So the pressure's on you to take us out for this Great. meeting. Just give us a three, two, one clap. So I call it out. You call it out. It's virtual, so this one's a little tricky, maybe a delay, but I think you can All still right. nail it. I'm so grateful for this time. Thank you for the conversation and for your heart. Anytime. Three, two, one. <laughs>